Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So are you frustrated with the lack of growth in your career? If you're like most people I talk about, the answer is yes. Or maybe as a manager, are you frustrated that your team is constantly complaining about their lack of growth? Or maybe you're frustrated with your engagement survey data that says you don't provide enough learning opportunity or enough opportunity for advancement and growth. Well, the proposition today is that maybe, just maybe, We need to think about growth with a new lens, one that affords more than two dimensions, more than the two dimensions of up or out in the career hierarchy. Not that there's anything wrong with trying to climb in the hierarchy. However, as you will see, it's not nearly enough for a sense of satisfaction. My guest today is Julie Winkle Giuliani. As a champion for workplace growth and development, she helps executives and leaders optimize talent and potential within their organizations. She's one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 speakers. She's the author of Promotions or So Yesterday, Redefine Career Growth, Help Employees Thrive. And she's also the co-author of an international bestseller, Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go, Career Conversations Organizations Need and Employees Want. Translated into seven languages, I might add. Regular columnist for Training Industry Magazine and Smart Brief, and where she contributes articles on leadership, career development, and workplace trends, including number of publications with The Economist. If you would like to get more in touch with her or learn more about her, you can visit her website at juliewinklegiliani.com, spelled G-I-E. I can't even spell it correctly. Julie, J-U-L-I-E-W-I-N-K-L-E-G-I-U-L-I-O-N-I.com. Julie, welcome to the show. <laughs> You've put in a whole day's worth just introducing me. Thank you, my Wanda. Goodness. I cannot, cannot seem to pronounce my words today, but so it happens sometimes when you're podcast recording. Julie, I always like to start at the top. Why does this topic matter to you, career growth? Why is that important? Well, you know, I just stumbled upon one terrific boss after the other while I was growing up through my own development. And these were folks who just had this natural capacity to develop the people around them. It looked effortless. It was invisible to me. And my my friends would complain about their jobs and their bosses. And I had no idea what they were talking about because my work was so joyful. Every day I got to do work I loved. I was stretched. I was given opportunities. It was marvelous until I was about 30 when I hit my first, not even bad boss, just regular boss for whom development wasn't a priority. And it was debilitating. And uh, I quickly got out of Dodge and made the decision that the rest of my career really was going to be focused on helping leaders build the capacity to be the kind of leaders who introduced me to the joys of work and growth in that uh, context. That is great motivation. But what, what I know this is what you've written about. But I have to ask, this one boss who were boss after boss who was so successful, focused on development, what is it that they were doing that was so unique? They got to know me as a human being. Mm -hmm. 
They helped me get in touch with capacities that I wasn't aware of, that I didn't have language for, that I hadn't you know, really discovered for myself. They saw potential in me that I didn't yet see. They took the time to just talk to me about what I was interested in and what was going well and where I felt a little you know, off balance and needed support. They constantly allowed me to stretch beyond where I was, you know, to, to the theme of your show, beyond my comfort zone. And it, it quickly got to the point where being uncomfortable, stepping out into that space of accelerated learning became my comfort zone. You know, my set of expectations for how world, the world of work actually operated. That's fabulous. I heard um, a senior leader today say that the highest compliment he'd ever received was when the spouse of an employee of his came to him at the office party event and said, I want you to understand that my spouse is a better human being for having worked with you. Like, oh my goodness. Isn't that the person you want to work for? Isn't that what it's really all about at the end yeah, of the day? Well, isn't that who you want to be for those around you? Yeah. Oh, that's that's really inspiring. Well, interestingly, not everybody did because I had mixed reactions to that one. Found kind of surprising. I don't know what those mixed reactions were about, and that's not the topic for today. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about the first your first book, "Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go." I love that title. Do you think? Why do you think that's true? Why do we have to help people grow or watch them go? Well, there's tons and tons of research on this. Study after study helps to illuminate this undeniable link between career development, job satisfaction, engagement, and retention. I mean, we know that career development is among the top reasons people leave a job, stay at a job, join a job. Um, the, the Hay Group has found that room for growth is one of the five keys to employee commitment and retention. LinkedIn found 70% of U.S. employees report being at least somewhat likely to leave their current employer for another that has a reputation for investing in employee development. And the Humu uh, Group found that employees who don't perceive growth opportunities are actually 7.9 times more eager to leave, even if they like their job. Mm. This idea of growth and development, it is so fundamental to who we are. And particularly in today's employment marketplace, employees have choices. And when they have a choice between an organization that's going to just use their talents or their own you know, devices and those who are going to give back in the form of additional skills and capacity and experiences and growth, it's kind of a no-brainer. So I agree with you. I mean, who doesn't want to work for a place that is stretching you, letting you grow? And particularly in recent years, when you feel like the half-life of anything you know is diminishing by the day. So do you think that this is something unique to the last five years? I mean, clearly it wasn't unique in your experience. You, you know, left business because you couldn't stand managers that weren't helping you grow. So is it unique today or is it, has it always been there? 
Yeah, so it, it wasn't unique to me a million mile a million years ago when dinosaurs roamed in the place. It wasn't new uh, ten years ago when my co-author Beverly Kay and I co-authored Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go. The situation was much the same in terms of the disconnect between employee appetite for learning and growth and the you know how organizations and managers were delivering on that that delta uh, was a, a significant source of dissatisfaction back then just as it is now the last 5 years certainly have seen an acceleration an amping up a ramping up of business there is an appreciation i believe on the part of employees that things are changing more and more quickly the institute for the future of work found that 85% of the jobs that we'll be doing in the year 2030 haven't been invented. And even if employees don't know that statistic, in their hearts, they know that if they're not looking around the corner and anticipating what's next and getting themselves ready today for tomorrow, they could find themselves irrelevant. Uh, So I would say maybe there's amplified attention to the importance of growth today, but it's certainly not new in terms of a, a deep human need that we bring to the workplace. It's I think people feel like they have options today, whereas 15 years ago, you didn't necessarily feel like you had so many options, especially coming out of the financial recession. It's also interesting, you cited all those wonderful stats from LinkedIn and from Hey Group and from others as well. But I remember 25 plus years ago, tracking the top 100 places to work, which you can look at by country to country today. When you look at those top companies, one of the top five reasons that makes them a top 100 place to work has something to do with learning or growth in one form or another. It's always there. Yeah, yeah. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? For two reasons. On the one hand, like we've been talking about, the experience that the employee has of working in an organization like that is superior to other organizations. So the employee experience is better for it, but the organization is better for it as well. Organizations that cultivate learning benefit from more skillful people who know more and can do more. And so it really is sort of the ultimate win-win. So what's your response to the manager sitting there who says, yes, 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 I buy into that development, absolutely, totally, but I can't let my team completely go because they'll make more mistakes, too many mistakes. Oh, agreed. You know, there are rules and guidelines and processes and systems for a reason. And so we're not suggesting that you just throw all that out and let chaos reign by any stretch. Uh, But a controlled approach to allowing people to step beyond what's known to, with the appropriate safety net, try out new skills and experiences is how both managers and employees are going to grow. I'm thinking about one of my favorite bosses, Mr. Kelsey from Montgomery Ward way back in the day. Warren's isn't even around anymore, but he was a store manager and my boss. And I let him, somehow I was 20 years old and I talked him into letting me invite the circus into our parking lot. 
uh, for I was doing promotional work for the store at the time. And bless his heart, uh, he allowed this to happen. And you can imagine the unintended consequences associated with having a circus in your parking lot, um, like elephants that we hadn't taken you know, into consideration. Anyway, it was it, there, there were issues that happened that weekend. I won't, that's for another show, Wanda. Healthy <laughs> was there. He gave me enough rope to where I dangled for a bit, tried to figure it out, but he was that safety net that made sure that he had the security and the uh, housekeeping services lined up to be able to pick up the slack and other stuff that was laying around uh, to take care of business. The growth that I had during that one weekend was mind-blowing. It was probably as much growth and experience as some people get in their whole careers in some cases. Um, But the key was he was there to let it not get out of control, to give me the space to grow, but to keep the business, you know, uh, train on the tracks. Right. All right. So I'm going to take the heat off managers for a moment and put it back on my favorite spot, which is back to the individual. Because we, I often think that we turn to our manager and expect the manager to solve everything when, in fact, we can do an awful lot of ourselves. So as you're thinking about your career, what is it that people get wrong or misunderstand when they're thinking about their career growth? I think you've alluded to it, Wanda. Uh, right there in the question is a lot of times we give up our power when it comes to our careers. We think somehow that it's the boss's job. Or it's the organization's job. You know, they need to have a path and a trajectory and a a system where you can click on it and get the learning that you need at a a moment's notice. And we, we have expectations of others outside of ourselves to do the work associated with career development. And the truth is nobody's going to care about your career as much as you do, you know, and maybe your mom. And so taking ownership for that means then taking responsibility for figuring out what are the ways forward. Okay. Uh, so the ownership piece is a big piece of it. And I think the other thing that we frequently get wrong is the assumption that it's an exclusive relationship between you and the manager. You know, for years, for decades, that is how it's operated. Once a year, you go away in a corner and you two talk and you put the plan together. And and then next year, you pull it out at the same time and shake it off and start all over again. Whereas in today's environment with distributed workplaces, with remote workforces, hybrid configurations, managers are frequently not in the best position to be the ones with eyes on you, an understanding of your experience, uh, and that sort of thing. And so increasingly, I'm working with organizations to create a more collaborative approach to career development, where employees are partnering with their peers and colleagues and customers and suppliers and contractors, the folks who are closest to ground zero with you to help figure out and start vetting, you know, what are my strengths? Where are my opportunities? What might my plans be? in terms of the growth and development that's going to be most satisfying and most for me and most productive for my organization. I think that I mean, I think it's a really important point because I see that managers have a very limited sight over what might be largely the world that they're a part of or what they're looking to do with their own growth. And occasionally a manager's manager has a broader insight 
but they often can't reach beyond their part of the world into a completely different part of the world to see whether your skills would fit or not. And all of those are assuming that they know your skills as well as you do, like you, and are willing to put some effort behind it. They don't often see either. So can you say just a little bit about what this collaborative approach looks like? Sounds like a great strategy to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it it really does address much of what you've just said. Managers aren't bad guys. I mean, nobody is is, um, shirking their responsibility or sitting around eating bonbons. I mean, the role of the manager is excruciating these days. And so when they say they don't have the time to do it, for instance, you know, that it's legitimate. No, this, this generation of managers is absolutely time starved. Um, but I'd like to come back to that because there still is, even in the absence of time, we can do career development. That said, managers do have a lot on their plates and they may not have the eyes on the day-to-day performance of individual employees the way it might be necessary. So what we're encouraging folks to do is to create um, a network, a career network around them to identify five or six people who could be part of your, you know, kind of a a trusted ally and and partner in this. Folks who will tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, and who have the visibility to you, your performance, your uh, strengths, your opportunities, and whatnot. And so the idea is how can we work with that group to do the the sloppy copy, if you will, of the career development plan, put something together that's going to be really meaningful, that's going to have legs to it, that'll be realistic, and then go to the manager. It's not that you're just going to go around the manager, but then go to the manager and say, here's what I've done. Here are the conversations I've had. Here's what I've discovered. And here's how I think we could work together to make that happen. And managers love this because the heavy lift on that front end has been shared and shared with those who are going to, in some cases, add more value to the conversation. Well, sometimes all the manager, I mean, the most of the manager can do is to introduce you to someone somewhere else. So they tap their network, make that introduction. And then, you know, if you've done your homework, you know what you want to say about yourself, about what you're looking for, about what you want to learn. There's a lot that happens accordingly. I think people get lazy, though, not managers. I think people get lazy. And we also get lulled because for the first several promotions, the first several years, it's a pretty straightforward get better and better and better at your area of expertise. And then suddenly the next step isn't so straightforward. All right. I want to talk about this thing you call, you say we see two dimensions when we should see more. What do you mean? Well, traditionally, when we thought about career development, historically, it was actually just one dimensional. And it was that climb up the corporate ladder. And every 18 months, somebody was tapped on the shoulder and invited up the the next run. Well, clearly doesn't work like that any longer. And so 10 years ago, when we published Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go, we introduced the idea of a career climbing wall, which offered a lot more opportunity, you know, laterally to go side to side, to maybe move among functions that it suggested that it wasn't just a straight line to the top, but circuitous. You might go up and over and around and down sometimes in order to get to where you wanted to go. 
And yet today, when we think about it, even that two-dimensional, more opportunity-filled, but still two-dimensional view of career development is creating issues because it's still based upon the assumption that career growth equals moving to another role, either upward or over or around. And so we've gotten into this um, limited definition where a career is our title and career development is a set of moves we make, hopefully upward, promotionally, um, to from role to role. And even though intellectually we know the world has changed, we know the ladder is rickety, that layers have been removed, organizational, organizations are much flatter, work gets done more organically, boomers until recently were living longer and working longer, taking up spots on the, the organizational chessboard. I mean, we intellectually know all that, and yet somehow we rubber band back to, well, growth looks like moving up the corporate ladder. And then we overlay these last two years where we have done some serious soul searching, many of us. I mean, we've had to confront our mortality. We've had to look at what our priorities are. And a lot of folks are reestablishing their relationship with work under new terms. You know, we want our jobs to do different things for us. And yet, and so, so in a way, we know our careers are bigger than that title, that role or whatever, but we just keep rubber banding back. And so the opportunity for organizations, for managers, for employees really is to break that frame or you know, rip that rubber band in half and, and expand our definition of what careers are and what growth looks like. Because when we can expand the definition, then we can expand what's possible in terms of development. Interesting. Um... I see this so many times that people believe their value to the organization is measured in the title that they get. And in absence of the title, I'll take more money. But if we're all honest, neither of those last very long, because then I'm looking for the next pat on the back, equivalent, gold star, blue ribbon, whatever you want to say, that's the next title and the next title and the next title. But for so many of the jobs, the people that I work with, particularly professional services, you are in a role and you're likely to be in that role for 10, 12 more years. I mean, for some, it could be even longer and have a brilliant career, but you don't want to stop growing because you've not changed roles. Yes. So it, it is a very interesting, uh, um, our old models our old ways of talking about careers are not fit for purpose for today, for sure. You're right. I love the way you said that. The, the old definitions aren't fit for purpose today. Yeah. And, and in many ways, the, the way I think about it is, you know, it's interesting. The Inuits have like 53 words for that white stuff we call snow. Yeah. Our language, our vocabulary around career development is equally limited as our vocabulary around snow. We've only thought about it in terms of being that promotion or move. And so with professionals like you're talking about and everybody, frankly, in the workplace, we need to find a different way to define that growth. And as soon as we do that, then we no longer have to look to be somewhere else to grow. We can, we can cultivate the growth that we want right here now. 
That's fabulous. Because I hear a lot of people saying, I like my job. I just want to keep growing. Right? Yeah. I fundamentally like it. Right. Why would you force someone out of a job that they love to do? I mean, and how many times have we promoted technical people into leadership roles that weren't a good fit? And then they were unhappy and their staffs were unhappy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, give us, I want to just hit the seven things that you think are really critical for career growth. And then we're going to take a break and then we'll come back and take a deep dive on what they mean. But you've developed a new language for career growth. Tell us about these components. Yes, and thank you. So at the heart of my new book, Promotions Are So Yesterday, is what I refer to as the multidimensional career framework. And it is sort of a seven or eight dimensional view of career development. So it really looks at this notion of growth from a totally different angle and offers seven alternatives to that classic climb up the corporate ladder. Okay. So before the break, maybe what I can do is just share with you what they are uh, at at the top tier level, and then we can dig in. We'll do it. Perfect. So there are things that normally fall onto our radar screens around career development, like competence, building our skills and ability, like connection, cultivating relationships, deepening networks, um, building a sense of community, raising your visibility. Things like challenge that stretch us into our discomfort zone beyond uh, what's comfortable. And that's where the growth and learning really happen. But then there are other dimensions that we don't normally associate with career development, but absolutely fit in as development dimensions. Contribution, tapping that need we have as humans to make a difference, to leave things better, to be of service, to live on purpose. Confidence. We normally don't think about that in relationship to career development, but boy, if you don't have that certain level of confidence, it's a deal breaker and you can't grow. And we all are going to experience those dips at some point over the course of our careers. So there are times at doubling down on trusting your ability. That's the best way forward for you. There's contentment, which raises some eyebrows when I talk to managers because it can be confused with complacency. And that's not what it is at all. But to be sustainable over the course of our careers, 30, 40, 50 years, sometimes we need to really work on cultivating that sense of ease and balance and meaning and joy. And then there's choice, really timely topic right now as we're being invited back to the workplace. People want control over where they work, how they work when they work. Um, Expanded decision-making is a a key to growth and development. So those are seven alternatives to the last C. These all start with C just by coincidence. uh, And that is the climb up the corporate ladder. Problem is that's restricted, limited, and out of the control of managers and employees. All of those other dimensions falls squarely within an employee and manager's sphere of influence. And so they're in a position to be able to cultivate growth in the here and now for people between and beyond and and besides those promotions. Great set. I get this one. So let me see if I wrap this up in a nice two or three sentences. One, your argument is growth has always been important. It's always shown up as one of the top criteria, but in today's employee market, it is front and center if you're going to keep your best talent. All right. 
but that we get our notion of career growth very constrained because we see growth as either a move to a new role or an increase in title, one more additional title. And that's not adequate. It's A, not out of not under your control, either of those, regardless how well you're performing. So now we need to think of a new vocabulary. And that means thinking about growth in these seven new ways, changing competence or increasing competence, increasing connection, increasing challenge, more traditional, or increasing our sense of contribution, increasing our confidence, increasing our contentment, our ease, our sense of balance, not complacence, and increasing our choice. And of course, maybe a climb in a traditional sense, but again, that one is not always under your control. The other seven are under your control as a way to learn and grow. Well, you didn't need me these last 20 some minutes. That's beautiful. (laughs) You told me all the words to say. That makes it easy. (laughs) All right. So let me make sure I can get this right. My guest today is Julie Winkle Giglioni. She is, as you can tell, a champion for workplace growth and development. The two books that I'm particularly like, her older one is Help Them Grow or Watch Them Grow. And the last one, I love the title on it, Promotions Are So Yesterday. All right, Julie, we'll be right back. When we come back from the break, I want to dig into three or four of these and talk about how. How do you do them? We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Julie Winkle Giglioni, 
the book we are talking about is Promotions Are So Yesterday. Um, and just to re- recap, Julie believes that there are seven ways that you can grow in your own career that are under your control, not dependent upon management or a promotions committee or some other person you're competing with. Those seven are competence, connection, challenge, contribution, confidence, contentment, choice. And yes, you can always add climb to that one. But Julie, you have research that says the seven are actually more effective than ability to climb the ladder. That sounds controversial. Explain it to us. Well, you know, I developed this uh, framework based upon field research over the last 10 years. And so I knew that these dimensions were viable. They came from real people and the patterns were pretty clear. But in my mind, I really wondered when you ask people what's most interesting to you, where really do their interests lie? And so we did this global validation study of 750 folks, good variety of demographics. Anyway, at the end of the day, the punchline is that in aggregate, people were more interested in all seven of these dimensions, more interested than they were in the climb, which left me really feeling like we had only had the climb on the menu. That's all we were offering up. And so, of course, everybody said, I'll take it. But once we expanded the menu, once we expanded the vocabulary to include these other dimensions, the people probably felt were you know, niggling around in the back of their minds, but hadn't brought voice to. It's like when they saw that on the menu, that's what I want. That's what's going to resonate for me right now. Knowing that it might be different in a month and it's different probably today than it was last year, uh, but it gives people so much more range. And what was most gratifying from this research was that of all the dimensions, contribution was number one uh-huh. in aggregate. And it was one or two in all age ranges. Okay. So that just tells me so vividly and tells managers, you've got lots to work with here. People want to step up. They want to do more. How can we offer an opportunity to grow, to reciprocate, to give them the development that they want while they're giving to the organization? Right. Uh, That so resonates with what I see on a daily basis with all of my clients, that everybody, especially high potential talent, wants to learn and grow. And they will accept not getting something they wanted if you can give them the feedback and the opportunity to learn and grow. But cut that off, and then everything else becomes the only indicator I have of how valued I'm in the organization, which means more title, more hierarchy, and more pay. That's all you've left with. So as a manager, then you've got to have something to put on the table. And as an employee, you've got to have something to put on the table otherwise. And I love contribution is number one. That's amazing. Well, and you know what I really um, appreciate about what you said is if you don't have the development, then you go to these other places. So frequently, I think we've thought that sometimes the development of these other things were a consolation prize. Yeah. Okay. You'll get that because we can't give you the promotion or the title or whatever. And this research says, absolutely not. These are not the consolation prizes. This is what people want even more than that promotion. And so for a manager who's felt like 
you know, I don't want to have those conversations. I don't want to set expectations that I can't meet. Who's had the angst associated with this? Suddenly they are free because right. they can facilitate contribution and confidence right. and challenge okay. and all the rest of them. Assuming we know how. Um, I find anyway, too many times managers don't have control over that next role or that promotion or the pay. I mean, it's it's such an amorphous beast how that gets decided in today's large companies. Okay, let's dig into a couple of these because what I want to know is how. So you said contribution is number one. And by contribution, you mean a sense of giving back, a sense of purpose, a sense of service. I think I heard you say all three of those. Aaron Hurst will be ecstatic to hear that about your research because that's what he believes. Great. How do we think differently about our contribution? So as an individual, we're contributing all the time. You know, that's how work gets done. And we're stepping up when we're doing something. And I know for myself, when I look back on my career, it was when I stepped up and did something you know, bigger than myself, that I grew the most, that I learned the most, um, that I expanded my network the most, and so forth. And so as individuals, I think we have a sense of how that contribution works like that. What we don't necessarily do is go into contribution with some intention, Mm -hmm. with a conscious plan for how I'm going to grow, develop, be different on the other side. And so the opportunity here is when an individual identifies that contribution is really their top interest right now, how can the manager and the employee sit down together and plot out what does that look like? What's it going to feel like? What steps can we take? But most importantly, what are you going to be able to do on the other side? How can we make this reciprocal? So you make sure that you're getting the growth that you want while you're giving the value to the organization. And at that point, I mean, we've got some really conscious, deliberate development in play. Right. So give me an example of what this looks like in practice. Could be any number of things. Um, So when someone identifies that they really do feel like contribution is what's of greatest interest to them, for the manager and the employee to sit down and unpack what that looks like becomes key, kind of definitions. But then together to scan the environment to say, where is there a place for you to step in and do that? Really make the kind of difference that you want to make. So the good news is there are always plenty of opportunities looking for people to take the lead, whether it's a void, you know, those um, pain points between and among departments or where customers are getting dropped and, and things aren't working, where it's not bad enough to create um, huge, huge outcry, but it's a constant source of irritation for those who are dealing with it. Avoid is a perfect opportunity for contribution. When someone needs to, to step out and someone must step in on a temporary basis to fill a, an open position. When there's a problem, you know, that needs to be solved, these extraordinary efforts offer an opportunity for an employee to grow enormously. So what we're talking about, what the book gets into is how can you have some front end conversations that spec out the learning, that ensure that you're getting the support that you need. 
then ensure that someone's there to provide that safety net and the accountability that's going to get you to the other side so that when you've completed it, not only have you delivered a terrific project, but you also can chronicle, you know, create a library of what you got as well. And I really think that a lot of the folks who are leaving because they don't see opportunities for growth, we're not calling that kind of activity growth. We're not labeling it as such. And when we start being really overt about it, we're going to see people recognize some of the activity that already was going on that now they see. Ah, They label as growth and recognize it. Yeah, that's Um, I get asked a lot, how do I show my organization that I can lead when there are a few opportunities for a formal title to begin with, and I'm not at a place where I have a team reporting to me. And my response to that one is the hardest, the easiest part of leadership, let me do it this way, is when somebody has to do what you tell them to do because their livelihood is dependent on you. That, like that's just doesn't even sort of count. The hardest part of leadership is persuading your peers to do something they wouldn't naturally do. And I always point people to exactly what you just said. I just didn't know why. I say, think about projects where you have a stance to step in and influence the thinking or the strategy or the outcome. You are leading in those moments. But equally, I could develop my strategic thinking or I could develop my communication skills or my anything by seeing it as such in the context of that project. Yes. Oh my gosh. I just want to get up and applaud Wanda. That's exactly what it is. It's about being deliberate and it's about bringing greater reflection, you know, and a new lens to what you're doing. Okay. Any job that you're doing with intention can lead to growth and development. But the other thing is having overt conversations with right. the manager about it because a manager I mean, what you've just described, the person who wants the leadership experience, what a wonderful opportunity for that manager to allow someone to test drive leadership, to see if they even like it, if there's any capacity there. Uh, So a manager's partnership in that, in terms of setting some growth goals, in terms of following up on a regular basis around how you're doing, what are you learning, what support do you need? that becomes really an important part of the equation as well. It's also how you change someone's perception Mm -hmm. is by saying at the very beginning, I'm doing this because I want to test my capability, blah, blah, blah. Hey, here's what I'm learning. Hey, did you see? Hey, look, I've grown (laughs) is a way to bring people along the journey that you really have changed in some ways or matured in ways. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it ensures that the development doesn't become drudgery because right. how frequently do we take on those extra assignments right. because we're going to grow and then suddenly it's just the work that's in the foreground and development is in the way background. So by keeping our eye on that, it doesn't become ugh, a hassle, but rather the, the joyful experience of growth and learning. Okay. Love it. Now I want to take a very specific dive on this one. Because contribution, you said sense of service, sense of purpose. And we've talked about contribution in terms of contributing to the organization and learning and the process. Suppose somebody really cares about that sense of purpose and meaning. How do you help them identify that, tap into that? Well, an employee who has a a safe relationship, a trusting relationship with his 
or her boss is in a great position to dialogue with the boss to understand Mm -hmm. that meaning, you know, what that looks like and where we can find expression for it. I'd say the other thing is, you know, frequently we think that development all has to happen within the four walls or, you know, four ethereal walls of our organizations. But sometimes you've got folks who really have a sense of meaning and they're putting their heart into activities outside of the workplace, you know, volunteer, philanthropic, philanthropic, um, nonprofit sorts of activities. And again, with intention, we can wring a lot of development out of those as well. So for instance, back to your person who wants some leadership experience, there's not an opportunity in the organization, but if they're involved in the local PTA or the Boys and Girls Club or whatever it might be, for the manager to coach them around, how can you use that experience to build some leadership um, savvy? Rather than just taking some baked goods to the baked sale, which is, is a great contribution, but what if you took on leading a fundraiser? or a particular activity, and actually incorporating those experiences into your one-on-one coaching. I mean, you talk about managing the whole person. The last two years, we've gotten to know the whole people, you know, that we're around. And to be able to bring that together then allows their outside, their extracurriculars, where they're creating meaning, to bring greater meaning into the workplace as well. That's a, that's a brilliant idea as a manager to have somebody doing something outside of work that they're naturally doing that I know about. And as a manager, I'm going to now coach you to acquire the skill you're looking to acquire through that volunteer. I can't tell you how many times I hear from people who say, well, I do all this stuff in my community in these charities, and no one in the organization even knows the impact I have out there. What a lost opportunity on a whole host of fronts. Okay, um, I'll just point one last comment on this one. It's Aaron Hurst's work, and I'll just point to another way to think about a sense of purpose and meaning is to think about who you're serving and how you were serving them. Regardless where in the organization you are, just have that conversation. We'll kind of give you that sense of purpose. That's a really good point. In the book, one of the techniques is to connect the dots because everyone in an organization, whatever you're doing, is somehow contributing to that big picture and we just forget about it. We get disconnected from it. And so as a manager, sometimes all you need to re, um, refill someone's sense of purpose is to take them through and create that breadcrumb trail that says, because you're doing this, this other group can do that. And our customers or the community or patient is better in this way. Really powerful to be reminded of that. Everybody thinks that it's obvious and it isn't so obvious when you're in the middle of it. Okay, so let's leave contribution. And I want to go to one that everybody talks all the time about is confidence. So constant source of concern. How do we grow confidence? Well, the first step. I believe is as managers, we need to destigmatize a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. Most organizations do not welcome a sense. Uh, I mean, we talk about vulnerability and authenticity and transparency, but at the end of the day, showing up and not being confident in your job, that's a little bit verboten in most organizations. And I know for myself, 
I have faked it so many days and the energy that it takes to put on that shell, that veneer, when on the inside you are just melting, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's debilitating. And so as managers, we have an opportunity to destigmatize it and to say, it's okay mm-hmm. to feel less than confident. And in fact, here's where I have, here's when I have, here's how I, I dealt with it. It's a, a game changer. It opens up a, le- a true level of vulnerability. Yeah. And it's not until we can admit that, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to crash and burn, that we can really get the support that we need in order to shift our perception of confidence. Yeah. I routinely ask senior leaders, men and women, to describe a time when they took a risk in their career, career, they did something they did not had not done before, so a little bit new, out of the comfort zone, and also to talk about how they kept their confidence up. And to a person, they are all struggle at some moments in time with confidence. Everybody does. If you're stretching yourself at all, you should be lacking confidence. Otherwise, you're being arrogant because you're stretching yourself. So I couldn't agree more that destigmatizing this is somehow I'm flawed is a great step forward. It's okay. Yeah. All right. So then at that point, once yep. we make it okay, you could almost go in a couple of different directions. On the one hand, you can really hone what someone knows. Let them really focus on what they're already good at. Get those extra cycles down. Get it in their bones. Get that positive reinforcement. Really know through experience, day-to-day experience doing something that I got this. Mm-hmm. That's one avenue. The other avenue is kind of the other end of the spectrum, which you were talking about. Throw yourself out there and figure out where the barrier lies. You know, part of that sense of confidence that people have is that they know they can perform predictably to this point. After that, it's a question mark. But up to here, I'm going to crush it. But we got to know where here is. And that means pushing the limits a little bit, being on the edge, maybe falling down and needing some help picking yourself up and dusting yourself off and trying it again. But exploring where the boundaries are um, is the other side of, of that coin. Yeah. And as managers, then you've got you know, multiple roles in terms of offering feedback, being the, the confidence whisperer and guiding people to that, that sense of confidence and, uh, and whatnot. We've got more of that in the book. <laughs> Coming up. Yeah. I like this um, because I do see both of these strategies working, is that your confidence gets boosted, even when you're doing stuff you're not very confident about, when you focus on what part of it you have mastered, you already know. So you're relying on that one. But I also see, it's not unrelated. I also see lots of senior leaders that I interview talk about the time they pushed themselves out and they were a little over the edge and felt like they weren't sure they were going to make it. And they realized they could make it. And they rely on a particular set of, let's say, problem-solving skills that breaks things down, a particular methodology they developed. And they find they can do it and they succeed at it. And then they do it again and again and again. It's almost like they get confident in getting out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. In that's a way. Getting comfortable at being uncomfortable. Okay. All right. Um, choice. 
Another one that everybody wants to talk about, particularly today when we're so focused on how do I have a different relationship with my work and life. Yeah. And this one is based upon, you know, the classic research of DC and Ryan. It was popularized by uh, Daniel Pink. Um, This notion that we bring the fundamental need for control or autonomy to the workplace. You know, people want to be the boss over themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right. It's particularly timely as we're invited back into the workplace and, you know, have to confront the level of flexibility that we have or don't have around when we work or where we work or how we get the job done. And uh, it's interesting. There's some research now that sort of corroborates what I was talking about. Avanti found that 71% of folks would trade a promotion for anytime, anywhere work flexibility. Mm-hmm. Mercer found one in three people would give up that extra money, a raise for work-related flexibility. And so choice is profoundly important to people. But it's also, so it's an engagement strategy, it's a growth strategy as well, because when we give people more choice, more control, more autonomy, greater decision-making authority, There's tremendous learning that can happen in there. We need to be able to helicopter up, look at a bigger picture, understand implications and the interconnectedness of things. And so using it for engagement is one thing, but we can also squeeze some development and learning out of it as well. Great. I love that one, Julie. What a great insight. All right. You got one minute, one and a half minutes. All right. Tell me about contentment. Oh, contentment. That's another one that's especially important right now. As we've had these COVID epiphanies, as we've figured out that I want a relationship with work that is more easeful or more balanced, that offers more meaning, and folks are leaving. And we're seeing people leave the pay and the perks and the prestige for roles where they have those qualities. And so as a leader, it really uh, is incumbent upon us to get to know our people, to understand what it is that contentment looks like for them, and to help them find ways, win-win ways, to cultivate that kind of contentment in a way that doesn't hobble the organization. And when we do that, we have a, a much greater chance of being able to retain those folks Um, and have them be satisfied, engaged contributors. Fabulous. I have a feeling we could talk for another hour about all of these. Um, Julie, as I look back on this podcast, I think the thing that really strikes me is the notion that we see career growth as either a change in title or a change in role. And that instead, we need to abandon that. Yeah, those two are still there, but they're both out of our control, which is not very satisfying. And instead, focus on places where we're doing competence, where we're building connection, where we're increasing their challenge, where we're making a bigger contribution, where we're having confidence, increasing confidence, where we can find contentment, and where we're making conscious choices. And hopefully, somewhere along the line, that might lead to a sense of career climb. But those are things that I can do as an employee and certainly conversations that managers can do with their employees about growth beyond just the next title and the next role. What a great set of tools. Julie, thanks for being a guest today. Oh, thank you so much, Wanda. All right. My guest, Julie Winkle Giglioni, and the book is, the one we've just been talking about is Promotions Are So Yesterday and her earlier book, Help or, um, excuse me, where did I lose my title here? 
Let me help you. Help them help grow. Help people. Yeah, help them grow. grow. Watch them grow. I've got too many words stringing together there. Help them go, grow or watch them go. Julie, thanks for being a guest. Join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. And if you'd like to know more about how to apply these concepts and others, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.